0: Hello! Welcome to the Westside Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. Westside's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Man, it is... It is such a joy to get to stand before you here this morning. Knowing that we're at the at the beginning <laughs> together of a of a new and exciting time, um, trusting that um, what God has done up to this point, um, He will continue to do. And I want to I want to echo what Molly said earlier. Uh, part of why I feel um, So comfortable um, stepping into this role right now uh, has nothing to do with who I am um, or yeah what whatever it is that I'm bringing to the table. It's your faithfulness uh, through the midst of um, a a long season and the fact that we showed up here last November and uh, I was expecting to come here and find like a tired people and you were an excited people. You were an energetic people, and um, what sweet evidence that God was working, is working, and now let's have eyes open to see what God's going to do, all right? Let's do that. Um, we're starting a series this morning. Um, I, I was so clever. Um, I, we are, we're starting a series in Genesis. We're calling it Starting at the Beginning, because um, it's the beginning, you know? I probably don't have to explain that one a whole lot. <laughs> Genesis the beginning, this, the beginning, yeah. Uh, I, I thought, you know what, how about we pick an easy book of the Bible that nobody has really strong opinions about, and uh, we'll just kind of ease ease our way, ease our way in there? Uh, no, Genesis, oh boy, we got the, the funny thing about Genesis is, is we end up making it about so many things that's not about. Um, uh, Old Testament uh, professor uh, John Walton says uh, in one of his books about Genesis that, that God has chosen the agenda of the text, and we must be content with the wisdom of those choices. Uh, elsewhere this week, I found a prayer from Walter Brueggemann that, that talked about the importance of us yielding to uh, the text, yielding to that which God has communicated, and the way and the time in which God has Communicated it. Um, we uh, last week I talked a little bit about sometimes we we come to scripture with these cultural blinders. Actually, we always come to scripture with cultural blinders, um, and nowhere is that issue like more evident than Genesis and Genesis one in particular. We come and we ask all of these questions um, that the text is not really trying to help us answer, right? We've turned Genesis into so many other things in, in attempts to make it say something and answer something, answer questions about apologetics or age of the earth or scientific inquiry or history or myth or all of these things that, that we might find fascinating but are distinctively modern Western questions for an ancient Near Eastern text. Um, these sorts of questions are, are not bad in and of themselves. I want to be very clear. And that they often come from an earnest place to understand that which God is saying. And that is a good thing. It's a good thing to earnestly try to understand what God is saying. What, what is problematic is when we use our modern questions and our modern lenses for, for ancient texts. We have a we have a chance, we have a, a very good chance of missing the point entirely. You ask wrong questions, you will get wrong answers. Or as, uh, as Taylor Swift says, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. <laughs> I've not yet assessed the Swifty level of the Westside Face Center, so I thought I'd throw that one out there and see <laughs> see uh, how that played. I'll get some feedback on that. And we'll, we'll move forward. Uh, Trevor, I got a, a picture up here, I think. Thank you. Now that we can see this photo, anybody know what this this is? The eclipse, yeah. So uh, I was amazed this morning going back through my photos. I took this photo uh, when we got to experience the eclipse. It got to experience totality here in Oregon back in 2017. Somehow it's already been six years since that happened. And it was one of... A whole host of moments that I've had throughout the course of my life where I was just about knocked over by God's creative handiwork. And I like to think back to this photo when I get into Genesis 1, because Genesis 1 is just God kind of like playing around with the very first materials that turned into the world that we see today. And I'd like to think that at some moment he was messing around with the sun and with the moon, and like they overlapped, and he was like, ooh, that looks cool. I'm going to do that again, but very infrequently, and it's going to be hard for people to figure out, but once they do, they're going to be all about this. (laughs) Genesis 1 is not there for us to tinker with with our little questions. It's there for us to be blown away by the fact that God is the creator of the universe. God initiated, God gave purpose. That is what Genesis 1 is all about. Our first point is simply this. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. The very first words of scripture, barashit, barah, Elohim, in the beginning, God created. What God wants us to know first about him is his creative work in the world. The power to bring something out of nothing, yes, uh, but as a number of commentators and ancient Near Eastern background specialists have, have pointed out over, over the last few years, is that in, in the ancient Near East, to understand the idea of creation, it's not so much about material existence. There's not being something and then there being something. The way you and I think of the word create is not necessarily the way they thought about the word create. They were far more interested in, in function, in role. So for God to create something, for somebody to create something, it was to give it a purpose. It was to give it a role, give it something to do, give it a function. So while Genesis 1 is telling us, yeah, God made everything and there was nothing and God made everything. What it's saying beyond that is not only that God intends to bring it to be, but God intends purpose for it. In a a moment, in a a world where we flounder in the conversations about purpose and we wonder what it is that we are here for and whatnot, Genesis 1 starts to give us a few little clues. We're not going to walk in detail through every single day. Um, We have a mercifully short sermon this morning. Uh, I said you, not me. Um, (laughs) But I want to take a look at day one. Genesis one, three through five, as it gives us a few of the key components that we need. And God said, and we could just stop right there, right? And God said, the operative word, the operative activity in every single day, the one thing that is consistent across each and every day of the creation account is that it is God who is speaking the thing and everything else is listening and doing accordingly. God speaks and then it happens. God speaks and then it happens. That is the pattern. In the beginning, and God said, let there be light, and so there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated, separated the light from the darkness. N- notice, as you read through Genesis 1, and I would encourage you to, to do that as, as we go through this series, and notice how much you find the word separated. It wasn't so much that God was taking nothing and making something. He was taking something and giving it purpose. He was separating it out. I almost imagine God having just a big old ball of Play-Doh and kind of just like stretching it out and giving purpose, giving function to it. Even the words that are, that are used here about light and day, he's not putting light in a specific place. He's giving it a specific Role. He separated the light and the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. God just made time. That's what happened on day one. The creation account is there um, to remind us that we are on the receiving end of God's directive orders. And for one full chapter of the, of the Bible, whatever receives the command of God just goes and does whatever it is that God commands. Interestingly enough, this is before humans are on the stage. All of creation just responds when God speaks. Genesis 1 is creatively put together. I've got the, the image there for the first six days. Day one, God makes light and dark, and day two, God makes water and sky, and, God, and day three, God makes land and plants. He's separating stuff out, trying to put it where it's supposed to be. And if we were to have days four, five, and six over here to the right, we would see that the light and the dark are then just filled up with the greater and lesser lights, what we call the sun and the moon. Um, I do think the author of Genesis had some apologetic uh, little backing to uh, his purposes here. There, why, why say greater and lesser lights when, when we all know that it's the sun and the moon that he's talking about? Well, the other nations of that time... They worship the sun gods and and moon gods. They worship gods of those particular names. The author of Genesis wants to say, your guys don't even get a mention in our story. By the way, our God made those. So a little bit of an ancient diss, eastern diss, if if you would. But day one is mirrored by day four. Day two, we get waters and sky. And day five is mirrored by water, then filled. And then sky, then filled. Day three, land and plants, then filled up with animals, and then humanity. It's a perfectly parallel account. It's, a, it's an intricately woven, artistically crafted chapter meant to bowl us over, meant to awe us at God's creative activity. Genesis as a whole function there as as the first in a five chapter series called the Torah Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy and that chunk of text as a whole was used by Israel all throughout its history specifically into the exile and beyond to remember what their relationship to God was what who is God and who are we And how do those things go together? How does the story of God match the story of us together? And every time Israel picked this up, not to read it physically, but to hear it proclaimed to them, every single time, this is where it began, God created. God created. And this ends up being one of the most important, like foundational, fundamental parts of Israel's Theology all throughout the Old Testament. One of the things we do, we get so caught up in these discussions of, of the length of day that it took for God to do this and, and the age of the earth, and we and we end up leaving our discussion of creation here in Genesis 1, making it answer questions that it's not trying to answer. And we miss the fact that Genesis that Genesis is just setting us up for a scripture chock full of creation talk. We gotta go find the creation talk and the rest of the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, if we read our Old Testaments at all. If you get into the Psalms, the psalmists love reflecting on creation. And every time they do, it's a reminder that God is creator and he is sovereign and powerful over all. God as creator means God as powerful, God as originator, God as purpose giver. Or one of my favorite instances of this is at the end of Job, when Job has had a really rough time of it, uh, because he's lost everything, and then he's got some friends who have some opinions, and um, they would have fit well in what we talked about last week, the human wisdom that Paul was talking about in First Corinthians 1. They had some good ideas that just... We're not terribly helpful for a man's suffering. And so Job finally lobs his complaint at God. It's like, what is going on here? God comes on the scene and says, interesting, Job. Like, I hear your questions, um, but tell me this. Uh, were, you, were you there? Were you there when I uh, made the world? <clears throat> Do you know where the ocean comes from? Do you know where I keep the water for the ocean? Uh, Do you remember how the planets all work? Was it you who etched the stars into the sky and just on and on and on? And we're like, man, it seems a little little rude. But creation all throughout Scripture meant to point us back to the fact that God is sovereign, all-powerful. But it's not the only Genesis 1 sets us up for uh, a big literary term we call inclusio. inclusio. Inclusio is just a literary term for when a, a portion of um, literature starts and ends with the same idea. It's a clue that everything in between is probably, probably about that as well. Authors do this in all different kinds of genres. And it turns out... The ultimate author, an originator, an arranger of Scripture itself was up to the very same thing. Scripture begins with the story of creation. And how then does Scripture end? But with another story of creation. In the beginning, God created. And in the end, God is going to create all over again. Revelation 21 Says this. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Do you want to hear the verses before that? Because they're some of the most beautiful. This is this is in the context of us hearing about a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. There is a whole lot of new happening in this moment. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be. Their God, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I'm not sure we think about this enough. That the mourning and the pain and the death the stuff that, that can characterize our days. And so many of our, our thoughts. There is coming a day where that will be no more. There is coming a day when that will be no more. And why? Because God liked creating so much the first time that he's going to do it all over again. I love this. I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. I love that. For these words are trustworthy and true. So Jesus sitting on his throne goes, I am making everything new. Ooh, that sounded good. Somebody write that down. Write that down. That sounded good. John needs to hear this and the rest of the world needs to hear this. I am making everything new. The beginning and the end is a creation story. And so that may be a clue that everything else in between is about this God who loves to do new things. Isn't it interesting then? That when we start to work our way through the New Testament, what is it that is called a new creation? It's you and me. It's you and me. 2 Corinthians 5. In the beginning, God created. And in the end, God's going to create again. And in between, in between, God's new work of creation is the work that he does in our very lives. 2 Corinthians 5. This is the way Paul says it. And it's a little bit clunky even. If anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The, the Greek is a little bit it's, a, it's clunky here. It's, if anyone is in Christ, like, blamo, new thing, New creation. The old has gone, the new is here. That which God did at the very beginning, and that which God is going to be up to for all eternity is the very thing that He wants to do in our hearts and lives right now. if we would yield if we would let him do so. Now, there is a potential here. When we talk about newness, when we talk about God doing something um, new and creative in our lives, there's, there's the human impulse to, to chase a new feeling. And I want to be very clear that things don't have to feel fun and fresh in order for us to be faithful, right? The newness of God is not a fad. Our little obsession with novelty is not what we are talking about here. The newness of God is a deep and enduring work that gets into our souls and bears fruit and bears fruit and bears fruit. God set things going at the very beginning and we still see new species being, being discovered this very day. The, the, the extent of the beauty and the detail of the creative work of God is before our eyes all the time, but it's not just looking outward, it's looking inward as well. The newness of God is no fad. Instead, the newness of God is dead stuff brought to life. That which was not, now is. The broken thing healed. The wounds mended. The aimless given purpose. This this is what God has always been up to and it is what he wants to be up to in our lives as well and I will say whether we like it or not I I would I would say it's a good thing to yield and with open hands to say God what what new thing do you have for me today Um, but as we've seen I mean God just kind of does whatever new thing God wants to do so I mean here here we are But as we step into a new season as a church, and I'm so excited to be in a new season together as a church, I I want us to be asking regularly this question. How will I be open to receiving God's newness? How am I going to? And perhaps the the question below that, one layer below that, how have I been resistant to God's newness? What little thing am I holding on to that I would prefer God not touch? How am I going to be open to God's newness? Band, if you could come on up. We're going to close our time with, with a song. We're going to have our prayer team... Up here, If you feel any stirring in your heart at all, God wants to work newness in your life. I believe that. If you feel that and want to talk to somebody about it, want to pray about it, we're going to have a prayer team up here. They're, they're great. They'll, they'll pray with you. If you want to talk with me afterwards, I'll be around. Um, how can we be sensitive to the new? Not chasing a, f- a fun feeling, but looking for the deep and enduring work of God. In our lives. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us uh, hearts um, that can be attentive to you and your work. God, rain on dry ground. Break up the cold, hard, shell that we put around our hearts, that we don't, the parts that we don't want you to get to break through in ways that we may not want, but we know we need. Come meet us here in this moment, in this season. Let us ever be turning to you, creator God. Jesus' name.